0: If tomorrow starts without me, there's something you should know. While I hold you close, never let you go. Hello, and welcome to The Broken Pack, a podcast focused on giving adult survivors of sibling loss a platform to share their stories and to be heard, something that many sibling loss survivors state that they never have had. Sibling loss is misunderstood the broken pack exists to change that and to support survivors. I'm your host, Dr. Angela Dean. Today is our next to last episode. The next episode is coming out on March 27th. Thank you for listening so far. I am floored and humbled by the worldwide audience that we have built. Thank you so much. In today's episode, I talk with Kent, he has many different roles and I really enjoyed talking to him about death rituals, what it was like for him to mourn rather publicly, given some of his roles, what it was like for him to struggle with the difference between intellect and heart and faith and putting that all together in his grief process, but also changes in the family dynamic. So without further ado, here's today's discussion. You're second guessing because you never know. You just never know. All right. So, thanks for joining us today, Kent. I was just wondering if you could tell me and the listeners a little bit about you.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. I love the fact that I am going to call you Dr. Dean. I love this.
0: <laughs> you can call so me fun. Angela. That's fine.
1: Yeah. I love it. There's some, I mean, to be able to accomplish what you've accomplished. Anyway, Ken Chevalier, uh pastor for over 25 years now, married to Erica. We've been married almost 24 years and we together have three daughters and they are 21, almost 21, 19, oh. and almost 15, which is, criminal. That and is now crazy. That is crazy. I remember that
0: total.
1: Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Sorry. And I now I have, the, I have the privilege to serve on a group called Athletes in Action. Uh, as a chaplain in the NFL and here in Pittsburgh, absolutely love being able to do that for my hometown team. So it's a real privilege.
0: Nice. Well, I can't believe the girls are that old. I guess that makes know. sense.
1: Well, yeah. Maddie's, she's at Waynesburg. Kalea is with YWAM right now, Youth with a Mission. She's on their outreach. She is in, let's see, they're in like eight different cities in Mexico over the next three months. And I think she's in Monterey, Mexico right now. And then Ainsley is a freshman in high school. So we were at her basketball game last night, having a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for joining us and sharing about your family. Before we dive into your story of loss, I'm just wondering what you wanted to share with me and the listeners about J.H.
1: Absolutely love J.H. He, you know, obviously my big brother. We come from a broken family. So J.H. was with me basically like half of the time. From what I re- remember and JH uh, was always the guy that taught me essentially how to throw a ball, baseball, football. We were always playing something and everybody loved my brother. I jokingly always referred to him as the mayor because we couldn't go anywhere without <laughs> somebody knowing him and absolutely loving him. So JH very much was the glue to our broken family. Uh, he kept all the different sides together and. Appeasing and all of that huge Steelers fan, huge Pirates fan, huge Pens fan. I absolutely miss those, those moments where I, I can't text him anymore <laughs> with the, the talks of the Pirates and who they're getting and all of that stuff. So I miss, I miss that for sure, but huge sports guy and he will. So I'll just say this incredible husband to Mandy, uh, incredible dad to his two boys and. And an absolutely incredible brother, uncle to brother to me and my my wife and Erica, or excuse me, my wife, Erica, and then Mm -hmm. an incredible uncle to my three daughters. Just, he was that guy.
0: Mm -hmm. How much older was he?
1: Six and some than me. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have other siblings too?
1: Yeah, Shannon. Shannon and I, same mom. And dad, J.H., different dad.
0: So it sounds like you were pretty close.
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting growing up because of the the whole custody thing. And I didn't understand that back then. But the custody agreement was he, I think he chose to go live with his dad and would visit us on the weekends. But then during the summer, it was like he spent every other week kind of thing. Yeah. Very close with him when, when he lived at our house, I shared a bedroom with him. Yeah. It got super close to him and, and he was, I mean, we, we talked almost every day via text in the adult years. Yeah. Missing, missing terribly.
0: Yeah. It sounds like he'd also love what you're doing now.
1: Oh, yeah. The sports as soon as, and, yeah. as soon as I, he was like. Besides, actually, I think he may have been the first call. Besides Erica, right? Erica and I were together, mm-hmm. obviously. When, when I became came on staff with athletes in action to serve the Steelers, he was my first call. Said, dude, you'll never believe this. Okay. He was. I mean, and he wrote me in a, a note and just said, man, how how proud he was that the fact that I get to serve the Steelers but then he always wanted that inside information like what's going (laughs) what's really going on but yeah he (laughs) he was so proud
0: that's fantastic yeah what are you comfortable sharing about losing him
1: yeah I mean I you know in that whole process of losing JH I was in my family, I'm the youngest, but I'm the default leader. I think simply because of being a pastor and people look in crisis situations, you know, towards help lead us through. You know, I was, I was leading several, trying to keep people together, text threads and information going out because so much had to be shared because this was during COVID. My brother was born with a really bad heart. Three days old. He had surgery um 16 years old had another major surgery so he had he had a scar that was from the top of his chest to his belly button it was before mm. t- today's technology that man you can have a tiny little incision and have a heart transplant basically mm. so my brother he his health was good it wasn't that but he just couldn't do certain things that the rest of us could when everybody was playing contact sports he was not allowed. When he would play sports, he would get winded uh, very quickly because of his heart working overtime and that kind of thing. So coming up to hearing about COVID, my my brother was super careful. Like he didn't mm-hmm. leave the house. He he knew that this would be this because of all the stuff that was scaring everybody. Like if you have a pre existing, mm-hmm. you know, some health Challenge, man. This will take you out, and so my mm-hmm. brother was just scared. But everybody had to live. Mandy had to go to work. The boys had to go to work. That kind of thing. And so, poor, poor guys. Just like a ton of the population got COVID, and ten days later, he was gone. And I was during that time of ten days when he got COVID. I was just trying to process it in my mind, going, "This is really bad." Trying to stay positive, trying to rally people to pray. I, I, I kid you not, simply because I put it out on social media and said, everybody, can you pray for my brother, JH? There were, there were thousands of people who were praying because of my role as a pastor, but then also this new role at the time as chaplain. And so. So many people praying and I just would keep updating because people were blowing up my phone. And I said, this is the way that I'm going to do it. I'm going to give people information via social media, which is good and bad, but I didn't Mm -hmm, want to keep answering my phone like crazy. So when J.H. went into the hospital, like it was it was for pneumonia. So he had he had gotten sick like it wasn't COVID yet, but he was Mm. really struggling, breathing all this. And then I think it was pneumonia and COVID collided. And, and just like so many people we heard of during that time. And that's when he went into the ICU. Um, so this is probably like four days into being hospitalized and tested and, and COVID. And I might be getting some of the information wrong. Because remember, this is this is during the time nobody can go visit. So no, nobody's allowed in the hospitals. Nobody. So it's all, if, if we can get information from JH in the hospital as the doctors are giving it to him, because there were times that even his wife, well, at the beginning, his wife was not even allowed to be in there. So he's alone in the ICU or in the hospital. He then gets the, and and I remember scrolling through some of my text threads with him that I've saved. And, and I said, have they said anything about COVID because it was all pneumonia up until that point. Have they said anything about COVID? And he said, all he simply wrote back was COVID. That's kind of, and I, as soon as I read that, like, Oh my goodness, that's when it, a fear struck, but me and just the way that I kind of handle that kind of stuff is I, I go into leadership mode at that point and started saying okay well we're gonna we're gonna rally the troops and we're gonna pray and so I think it at that point it was from the time that he went into the hospital to the time that he died was ten days so oh, it was it was brutal on our family and still is to be quite honest the ripple effects of all of this so and, and I also say this, the staff, because at the very end, and I, I, you know, who knows what staffs were allowed to do and not, but the, the hospital staff was absolutely amazing. They took care of my brother the best that they could. They mm-hmm. made sure that the pain, you know, cause they had to intubate him. They had to flip him over all this ugh, stuff. But I met the young man who was assigned to my brother in the ICU, and he allowed us, I don't think he was probably allowed, but he allowed us to come in so that we could say our goodbyes to him. I have, I have video of that to try, because I FaceTimed my mom and my dad in who, they're mm-hmm. 70 or 75 at that point. And that was just to watch my mom saying goodbye to her son via video. Like, and, and obviously they're older, so they're scared that they're going to get COVID if they come in to the hospital. And at that point, like, I, in my role, the NFL made a decision for like tears. And I, mm-hmm. my role didn't make the tier, the necessary tier to stay in the facility. So I was no longer allowed to be near any of the players and coaches and all of that. So I was like, I'm going to see my brother. I don't care. Like I'm going to figure out a way to get into the hospital somehow, some way. And so they let me and my sister go into the room and it was, you know, we, we tried our best to, who knows if he could hear us uh, at that point, but we told him what an amazing brother he Mm -hmm. is and was. And you try right. to say all those things that you, you know, I've I I've told him that stuff before, but you, oh, I have a final moment here. This is awful. Right. FaceTimed Erica and my wife and had her say goodbye. Didn't want the girls to see him that way because he had tubes. Right. I mean, he was swollen like crazy. So it was just rough to see him in that with a big old, whatever that contraption is that goes down into his lungs. So yeah some of those crazy memories that that in the i c u there I was just so grateful that they let us in there. Maybe that mm-hmm. young man got in trouble for it. I don't know, but I was so grateful
0: well, it sounds terribly heartbreaking
1: mhm, yeah, and in those moments um it was like in those moments where I th- like i it's almost like we knew I knew this is not good, this is Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be able to, with his weak heart, come back from this. And so I I process a lot through writing, mm-hmm. you know, journaling. And so I started to write because I couldn't sleep. I was I was up at all night, you know, all hours of the evening. And I just began to write and process through poetry and prayers for J.H. And then after J.H. died, it took a turn. And we all, I think we all process grief very differently. And in those five stages of grief that I've studied, you mm-hmm. think, you know, until you go through it. So, and For I was sure. all over the map with my emotions and I just, I was, I was riding a ton and I had a couple mentors and even Erica said, okay, you should probably take a break, get offline mm-hmm. and just walk through this without the social media. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: So anyway.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's interesting, right? Like we, the five stages of grief has since been proven to not be the most accurate because it's not linear and it wasn't based on dying or post death. It was, I think, based on illness, but similar, right? You've dealt with a lot of grieving people in your role as well. And we think we understand that. And then it happens to us and sibling loss is its own unique thing. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you and continue
0: nothing. to write the poetry, even though you weren't online and connected?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I definitely, because that's, that's kind of how I process, I think, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was starting to turn pretty dark, though, like admittedly, because I wasn't sleeping because of just all that was going on. I, things like that that just make you I remember writing this piece. So when when we got to the point of being able to pull off J.H.'s funeral because COVID protocols and all that stuff, you weren't allowed really to gather groups mm-hmm. of people. And so here we are, we're trying to plan a funeral amidst COVID. And it, I, we just all had a lot of time because we're all isolated in our home own, own homes. So I began to think about things like, why in America, or maybe it's beyond America, but like, why do we parade ourselves? I wrote this poem called Death Parade. Mm-hmm. And why do we parade ourselves in front of a body in this, you know, it just, it started to really I was upset by it, but I started to think about it. I have a friend who is from England and he's he moved to America and he said, the weirdest thing about America is our funerals. He's like, mm. why in the world do you force people right after a death to talk with hundreds, thousands of people like days after a death
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you parade their body in front of all of those hundreds and thousands of people and i just started to think about my buddy from england and being like yeah why do we do these death parades mm-hmm. this makes no sense and mm-hmm. i understand for closure and all of that seeing seeing the casket close and then go down into the ground holy goodness like mm-hmm. it's almost there's a stick I, I don't know what what it is But if that's closure, I don't necessarily need that personally Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to have closure. Uh,
0: So, yeah, I think that that's an interesting point. I'm curious what that's like in England now that you you said that, because rituals around the world are so different.
1: Yeah, he I mean, he basically described it as and this is my buddy's experience, so Mm -hmm. who knows if it's all of England, but he he said they would leave the family alone for weeks Mm. so the the burial would be very private. And it was just personal, only immediate family kind of thing. They would leave the family alone for weeks to grieve. And then once they were ready, then they held like, hey, we're going to we're ready to receive people now and just be in conversation. And there wasn't exactly like a public service for everybody. This is his experience as he was describing it to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's that's actually what I probably needed was just to be private, process it with my immediate and not, because people say really stupid things
0: Absolutely. Uh, in,
1: in the middle of a funeral, whatever you call that, receiving line. Or or whatever, and I you know some of the you, you want to punch people in the throat, but obviously you can't, and in my role I I shouldn't, but <laughs> like, but like people just say stupid stuff that does not help. That in our minds, like we can have our theologies, we can believe what we believe, and intellectually it's not computing emotionally. Mm-hmm. They are they are battling. And so if you say to me something like, he's in a better place, I'm gonna like, yes, I agree,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I want him here. You know? And and then you get into a battle of people say stuff about God that is just theologically incorrect. Um so in my role and in my position I get mad. Because you're trying to comfort with bad theology. So things like that, that I'm just like, why do we do this? Mm -hmm. So yes, to answer your question, I did still process a ton, but I just didn't make all of that public. And I still write Mm -hmm. today. That's part of who I am. I love processing my emotions and my thoughts through writing. And I, who knows if someday, because I probably during that time, I wrote, I I bet you fifty pieces on grief, on why do we do certain things. I wrote a piece called "The Grief Anvil." That <laughs> it, essentially, it felt, it feels like it's an anvil on your chest at all times, and you're carrying this anvil around with you. That that you're trying to process everything through and pound through. So things like that. I just, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. Sometimes three in the mom, I would just be up and, and writing.
0: We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Angela Dean, host of the Broken Pack podcast. If you've lost a sibling, you viscerally understand the complexity of your loss and how isolating it can feel. Sibling loss is misunderstood, and that's why I created an in-person retreat called the Sibling Grief Refuge. It's happening this August 15th through the 18th near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This retreat will include grief-focused activities and sessions curated and facilitated by compassionate grief experts, including me. It's a space where your grief, your loss, and your sibling will be honored and understood. In addition to grief discussions, education, support, and togetherness, you will be tapping into your continuing bond with your sibling through multiple activities, such as going on a photo walk or sensory exploration and mindful walks. In our Remembrance Ceremony, you'll have further opportunity to honor your sibling, share your story, and hear about others' siblings. For more information, visit thebrokenpack.com forward slash retreat. Or just head to brokenpack.com and click the Sibling Loss Retreat link in the top menu. Spaces are limited, so secure your spot today. Let's walk this path of sibling grief together. Now back to the show. I think that creative process is so healing because it taps into that other side of the brain. The 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 part of our brain that's not logical and lets us feel the emotions. I just did an interview with someone. He, Painted every day for 365 days in a similar way to to process. And I, you're right. People say, they say stupid things. I don't think it's <laughs> malintentioned. Right? They they mean to help no. us and help us grieve. In fact, I created some merchandise around this and some kind of snarky <laughs> cards. One of them <laughs> actually addresses that he's in a better place. Comment, but you know, people don't mean. Poorly, it's just very hard, like you said, to wrap the the mind and the heart yeah. together I, around that.
1: There's there should be some sort of like education on <laughs> what to say or not say anything at all. Just give me a hug and yeah. move down the line.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, which is part of what um, I'm doing here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, just the other night, so my my uncle passed away, and we go to the funeral home. And it is not in that, in that box that we go to the viewing in that box. It does. I swear to you, I was like, that does not even look like Uncle Clark.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know what he looks like. And so whatever the person is doing the makeup and the hair, that stuff. I was like, why, why do we? why do we dress mm-hmm. up death you know and so that was a big another question you putting on death makeup it was another writing piece and i just i really question the way that we do what we do and what that actually does to the people who are still here because that dead mm-hmm. person doesn't mm-hmm. care what they look like it, it but we we put we put lipstick and i'm like not my brother my mm-hmm. brother would never but i also get that I can't, if we're going to do the death parade and let people look at his body and and there's a whole nother theological, my brother's no longer there, mm-hmm. you know, because he is a soul having a physical experience. That physical experience is is now done and there's separation of soul and body in that moment. So what made my brother that body bag or that's a that flesh, <laughs> hint, what made him, him is now gone. His soul has left his body and you could just tell Uncle Clark, my brother, they do not look like them because Mm -hmm. of that moment of separation. And so I just get really bothered if I really, I probably wouldn't have, and my dad was at the uh, funeral with Uncle Clark, but I wouldn't have gone up to his body because I don't do that any longer. I Mm -hmm. just don't go up to people's bodies. Like, why do we do that? Makes no sense. Anyway I'm it, sorry, I'm off on a tangent.
0: oh no, 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 I think that was a good tangent. Is it hard for you to remember your brother without remembering the ending?
1: No, I think I mean it's a that's a part of the memories. I'll never be able to unsee the i c u um those moments you can't unsee that stuff, but i I remember all of the great stuff as well. I, I want to remember mm-hmm. all of that more. And because we grew up in a very blended family, there's a lot of junk in there um, that I also remember. So it's, it's all like a conglomeration of good, bad death, but then also grieving with hope. I get to, mm-hmm. I get, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I get to see my brother again. So it's, I remember some really great things surrounding the Steelers Super Bowls uh, that my brother and I participated in together and the one, one Super Bowl where the Steelers played up in Detroit and Erica and I were living in Detroit at the moment and I somehow I got onto the ESPN where they were doing some commentary and I was jumping in the back so that if I got on TV kind of thing and my brother, he... He calls me right away and he goes, dude, are you jumping up and down on ESPN (laughs) right now? I was like, yeah, that's me. So he kept that. This was back when you could, you know, DVR very quickly, rewind it and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And so he kept that the whole time. And he just, he just loved watching everything Steelers, Pirates, Penguins. And so the fact that he saw me, like we always just shared that and he, he would joke when I, Got into the role that I am now. He's like, "Are you gonna jump up and down on the sidelines so I can see you?" <laughs> Stuff like, but
0: I mean, he did
1: was, you? No, oh, I stay away. I don't want to be on that <laughs> camera. If I'm on that camera, that means I got to get off quick. But yeah, he would always text me, "Hey, saw you today on the sideline, real quickly." But there's so many great memories of 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 JH that outweigh the ICU oh. moment. But that's. I mean, that's cemented in there as a really rough moment of transition to heaven, mm-hmm. you know, really painful way to go. I mean, I feel so bad yeah. that he was all, well, I, I say this because a portion of what I wrote during that time was that my, my brother was all alone. But now the mm-hmm. more that I th- think about that, he had an amazing team of doctors, physicians, nurses who were caring for him. Uh, even though he, the whole COVID thing kept us all out, he was not alone. And I, I believe that obviously God was very near to him mm-hmm. in that moment. So he was not alone, even though that was what I was processing. I just pictured him in that room all alone. So I have both of those kind of memories of, of my brother. And it's hard sometimes when, how do I want to say this? When that grief wave comes when you are in the middle of, because it hits you out of nowhere, right? You could be watching a movie, you could be reading a book, you could be, and and all of a sudden, boom, that grief wave comes. And it's hard not to go back to that ICU moment. So I've tried to train my brain um, to, as soon as that grief wave comes, to welcome it and to appreciate the fact that I'm remembering my brother. And that's a good mm. thing. So it's, it, you know, grief, if, if we begin to, at least this is just for me, possibly, I've learned to be curious about the grief and what is it about this moment right now? What am I processing? All five senses aware right now mm-hmm. and be curious about the grief that is hitting me right now. And to not, you know me, like I'm I'm known as the crying pastor. So I do not care when emotions come. I don't try to be uh, um, you know, what our culture might have taught generations of man, men don't cry. That's a lie. And I I process pretty quickly through that grief because I'm able to embrace the emotion that comes. So just the other day, I'm watching. If you haven't seen this, man, you have to watch it. it it's it's The Chosen. Have you watched this series? I have not. The Chosen at all? Mm-mm. So it is a story. It, it, it's, how do I want to put this? It's a Hollywood, but I believe incredibly accurate portrayal of Jesus and the disciples. It's called The Chosen. And there was this moment where... I immediately was thinking about my brother, tears welling up inside. Good thing I, you know, it was like, I'm glad nobody's home right now because I'm watching (laughs) this and I'm just thinking about the closeness of the disciples of Jesus was the closeness that I desired to have with my brother. But because of the brokenness Mm. of marriage and divorce and all of this, I didn't get to have what I was watching on the screen. And so I went through this really quickly like I was mad, I was sad, mm-hmm. I was torn up inside and I was just like okay, I paused it and I was just like let's do this. Let's walk mm-hmm. through why am I mad? Why am I sad? Why you know, and it was 5 minutes and I was done and I allowed that wave of grief to come over me and I was okay with it. But that it took me a year and a half of intense therapy To be able to do that, I I wasn't equipped with with those kind of tools to be curious about and to welcome the grief, because most people, well, I did before, shove it down, and we Mm -hmm. and we don't welcome it. We reject it, and we've been told that we just move on. Well, that's Mm -hmm. you can't. Grief doesn't allow you to move on. You you just you, I have learned to be able to journey with grief instead of just try to get through it. That mm-hmm. it doesn't happen because it's gonna, it's gonna come out somewhere, some way, sideways. You know, in that.
0: Yeah. But. I love that so much that you're able to just sit there and be with it, but also process each emotion individually as fast as it happens or as slow as it happens. But mm-hmm. that's that's beautiful and I like the name the grief wave like I hadn't really thought about that because those things do happen so
1: yeah I was I was in because after my brother died in the whole funeral process I noticed it like I remember going to Erica and saying something something snapped inside of me mm-hmm. and it's really dark and I'm actually scared of it of what this is all unraveling mm-hmm. so I said to her I need help And I knew, and it wasn't just about not sleeping and and all of that. There was some serious stuff. I think with the broken blended family, the pain and the, all of that just balled up Mm -hmm. inside of me. That by the way, I thought I had dealt with, but only really scratched the surface. And so I submitted myself to searching for a trauma therapist and some of the things that I've walked through in my life that have happened to me. And just the, I mean, I could spend hours telling you just the pain of our, What I mean, every family has this, but Mm -hmm. the pain of our wonderful family and what that has done in me. I said to Eric, I I need help. So Mm -hmm. I need help to process this. I did a a therapy intensive, five days, eight hours a day. It was rough, Mm -hmm. but it was so good. And that counselor is the one who gave that image of essentially when we're little kids, we love when those waves come, right? Mm -hmm. We play in that kind of water. We, and she taught me that whole concept of a lot of people, when they don't see that wave coming, that's when it tosses you and you can't Mm -hmm. tell which is up and down. And she just, she taught me to be aware of the waves. When they're coming and be curious, playful mm-hmm. even about that wave. And so she's the one who, who taught me about the waves of grief and welcoming them and playing in them, so to speak, being curious uh, about. Them. So she, she, she really, I'm so grateful for her and the journey that she allowed me for about a year and a half to be with her. So very grateful.
0: That's fantastic because. As a mental health professional myself, but also in talking to people like training on grief varies, but also especially around sibling grief and trauma so i'm I'm so grateful for you that you were able to find adequate well more than adequate, very good
1: yeah, and i and it
0: also sounds like Erica knew when to point you to oh yeah. you need to <laughs> take a break from. Yes. Uh, and
1: in uh, a, a mentor, what's wild is that they hadn't talked to each other, but within the same day, they both confronted me lovingly and said, Hey, might be wise to get off social media and not be mm-hmm. talking to anybody right now. And so I was like, okay, God, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're getting my attention. Yeah. So yeah, I often, I often say that the Holy spirit sounds a lot like Erica <laughs> yeah.
0: So in that time period, when did when did JH die? I know it was during COVID. So, but...
1: Yeah, November twenty ninth, twenty twenty. So right okay. at the height of of COVID.
0: Yeah. So before vaccines and treatments and all of yeah that yeah. Were you, I mean, you mentioned the funeral. Were you able to then have some sort of celebration of life that was not so focused on the death parade? I mean,
1: yeah, it all had to be together. So like I, the whole concept of the body being there, open casket, all Mm -hmm. of this thing. And then we walked into the sanctuary, had to be seated six feet apart and then We actually, we created, this is, I mean, I could probably get in trouble for this, right? But there was a section that was was like the leper colony. Those who, those who wanted to be there, but they had COVID, but Hmm. no symptoms. So, I mean, so like, so that part was sectioned off in the back of the church. It was like... We can't go near there. And now what we know of COVID and all this stuff. I mean, it's just like the things that we didn't know. So, Mm -hmm. yes, we, we celebrated and we told stories, um, you know, about JH and, and all of this, but like then you couldn't even, you couldn't gather, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you couldn't gather as a whole family and have that traditional wake where people are Mm -hmm. telling stories and, and, and all of these things. So it was just a, it didn't, it didn't feel like a celebration, anything around it, because people, COVID was such a big thing that was blocking everything. And so because of that, even families were fighting about we shouldn't do it this way or we should do it this way because of COVID. Masks and non-masks and ugh, all of that stuff just really clouded any celebration. And so when even when we went to the, the, the graveside, it wasn't, it, it was, it was so cold and everything. We did everything inside so people couldn't be together. It was just weird. And I think that that, that led to more anger and frustration, bitterness, all rising up within me personally. And so all of that celebration stuff really, in my opinion, we, we didn't, we didn't get to fully celebrate.
0: Yeah, and what I know about you from having known you for a while is that community and discipleship and being together is so important to you and not being able to do that in the time of yeah. that need was probably yeah. adding to the grief and loss.
1: Absolutely. And and then when you're just when you are from a blended family and you know when moments of crisis happen like this tragedy, this is when Everything that you're in that pressure cooker. And Mm -hmm. so everything is heightened because now my brother, unfortunately, would eat four different Mm -hmm. families trying to weigh in on Mm -hmm. what should happen. And so Mm it's just, and I love them all. I, I absolutely do. I love them all. It's just the complication of it all is what crushed my heart. The mm-hmm. complexity of broken blended and, and I'm not even speaking against any blended or broken. Like it's not that mm-hmm. it's my particular family. It was heartbreaking to even see how people were grouped because of mm-hmm. the COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a reminder to me of just how broken we are as a people, individuals, humanity, mm-hmm. and and just how much we are in need of God to come and rescue us, and he did. And, and it's almost a jealousy at this point of my brother that he does not any longer have to deal, mm-hmm. have to navigate, have to be the glue. So I'm happy for him, but also that complexity here, it is... It is so broken, and I yeah. there's a there's a bit of belief for me that COVID wasn't the only thing that took my brother. I think he was exhausted from being the glue, and so that breaks my heart that all of that tension, all of that he's got to be four places on Christmas and on Easter, and I'm like, dude, I am so sorry that this was this was the hand that you were dealt, but he was a master. At being able to navigate it, but I think it wore on him big time.
0: Yeah. Have you found yourself trying to be the glue since then?
1: No, because I can't. You know, the four
0: different families.
1: Correct. So JH would bring us all together at his home or celebrations or whatever. And now that he's not here, I can't bring all four families Mm -hmm. together and nor, nor would I want to because of the, the family dynamic and that is there. But that's even, so like even within my nuclear family, there's just been a gap that's missing Mm -hmm. because now, like if you think about it with my brother not being the glue, I'm not going to see. Their family as much and, and not know fully what's going on with them because there's, there was tension there mm-hmm. that JH minimized. And, and so I can't, I can't be the minimizer for his nuclear family. So yeah, there's a dynamic there that is just, it's a part of being a blended family that because JH is no longer there, that they're like, well, we really, Ugh. we really mm-hmm. don't need to be at this function so right. that's really sad but I can't be that so that makes me I so I miss my nephews I miss getting together with Jade and Mandy and Erica and me and you can invite but you think about the dynamic you invite her to come and she, poor thing like we love her but she mm-hmm. feels odd and they feel odd because mm-hmm. the person that they Used to gather with us, so yeah. it's it's just that man. It's a a whole conglomeration of of weirdness, and I don't know how to navigate it. To be honest,
0: yeah, it sounds like you had a lot of support, even though you were grieving in isolation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the beautiful thing about technology is I could get on the uh, with my mentor. You know, I had a I mean, so many, so many people from the church were calling and asking and but a part of that support was like, I can't handle this. I can't handle the questions. I can't handle it. so I I really tightened my circle and and I just said, like, if it's not these three people, so this it was my best friend, it was Erica, and then it was my mentor. If the calls weren't coming from those three people, text wasn't coming from those three people, I was like, I can't, I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't have the emotional capacity right now to be able to handle the number of conversations because in my role, and I love it. So don't get me wrong, but in my role as pastor and chaplain, like a lot of people were reaching out and I'm so grateful for mm-hmm. that but I couldn't answer them all. So yeah. I had a ton of support, but those three in particular were my rocks. And I really tightened down my circle of trust in that moment. And and that was something that my, again, to go, I guess I could include in my circle of trust there, my, my therapist in that. Mm-hmm. So four people that were really holding my arms up, so to speak, to help me through it.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think setting those boundaries is a it's hard to do especially given your role but it it sounds like it was definitely the right move for you.
1: Yeah, and I like I'm I'm a people pleaser by just personality mm-hmm. and and I think that my role I, I don't know how to describe it but it sort of feeds into that because I just mm-hmm. want to serve everybody and it help anybody and but when I started to put that circle of trust and tighten it, it, it ticked off a lot of people and they didn't understand. And I didn't have the emotional capacity to help them understand. Mm-hmm. I don't have to help you understand when I'm, when I just got knocked 10 t- 10 right. ways sideways. And I don't have to explain anything to anybody right now. Right. And that was hard for me to accept because. Mm-hmm. I I love people. I love my church. I want, I want to live a life that where I love everybody. Come, let me give Mm -hmm. you a hug. I was incapable of that in that moment. And so while I had that support, a lot of people got mad at me, which then makes, once I kind of got healthy again and still on that journey, by the way, Mm -hmm. once I got clarity of Mm -hmm. sleep and some distance and some, listening to wise counsel, I began to question the, maybe the motive of some people's support. And like, man, I I don't know. I don't know how to navigate what you want from me. And, mm-hmm. and should you want something from me right now? Um, but in a leadership role, I think that comes with the territory. And when you're seen as a leader in a family or a community, and I think I put this pressure on myself. By the way, that I feel like I have to help because that's what yeah. I'm called to do. But in a moment where I needed the help, I didn't know how to receive the help. There was a there was an obvious gap there that I think I made some people upset by my lack of response. Or and I can, I can't do anything to control that. But I also part of who I am is I feel bad but like I feel I feel like I owe you an explanation but up here I know that I don't it's just mm-hmm. my heart strings I guess
0: what well, goes back to that whole metaphor of the airplane mask right that yeah you have to take care of yourself before you can help right and comfort every everyone else so as hard yeah. as that was but I you, think it sounds like it was I think there's a lot doing. of
1: I think there's a lot of pastors that maybe aren't trained in that, that maybe don't even, and and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but just like we don't practice what we preach in that area of taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. And I I think it comes from a a good place. It's not like Mm -hmm. we're trying to be, you're not trying to be anybody's, for lack of a better term, savior or helper. But it's a heart to want to do that for people. Mm. So when you can't even do that for yourself, it's almost like there's this wave of shame of Mm -hmm. like, man, I this is what I tell my people to do. And I don't even know how to do it. I want to do it, but I can't. So then there's this like, what's wrong with me? Because I should be able to do this. So anyway, there's a whole bag of fun, mixed emotions right there.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's the same in my role, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we're always wanting to help other people and do that. And I, I told this story other times, but I, uh, my brother died on a Saturday. I took Monday off. I decided since the funeral wasn't till the end of the week that I would go back to work on, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I promptly left because how can I take care of everyone else? I'm like grieving, right? Well, thank you for all of that and the, the vulnerability and the honesty. I want to wrap up with the same question that I wrap up with. Everyone and you hinted at some of this, but what is your one or two favorite memories of you and JH?
1: Yeah, I love this because I've I've got so many. So JH used to live with us when I was little. So I I think I think it was when I was maybe seven or eight that JH went to live with his dad. So this memory comes when I am. I'm probably six or seven. I am so excited for Christmas morning. My brother and I, so my my parents lived in like a, they bought a two bedroom home, but my dad converted, I don't even know how he did this, but he made it into a three bedroom house. Put up a wall, very thin wall between my brother, between me and my brother's room, And Shannon's, my, my sister's room. And we would have to go through her bedroom to get out to the living room because it wasn't a real room, if that makes sense. So I just remember being so excited because my brother and I, when I was little, had to share a bed. So just imagine how awkward is this for a teenage dude, (laughs) JH sharing a bedroom with his little brother. But for me, in that moment on Christmas morning, where JH and I, because he's still super excited for Christmas, mm-hmm. and maybe he was just acting because I am super excited <laughs> for Christmas morning. And what did Santa bring? And I just remember the the back and forth conversation that JH and I had about are you, what do you think Santa brought? What what are we gonna do? Can we are we allowed to go out yet? All this kind of thing. And it's just me and him under the covers, giggling, laughing. I loved it. So that's an incredible, incredible memory. And then this this one for me will always be the highlight. I had the privilege of of baptizing my brother in his mother-in-law, father-in-law's pool. So this mm-hmm. moment where my sister and my brother had never gone public with their faith in Jesus Christ, and because I was a pastor. J.H. and Shannon asked me. So I, this is, (laughs) I, to have that privilege to be able to baptize my brother in a confession of faith in front of his family and his friends. And it was just that moment where he and I, after I dunked him down in the water, he comes up. I just gave him the biggest bear hug because even though he's my older brother, I am probably, so he might be five, eight, five, nine, and I'm six, two. So mm-hmm. I just wrapped him up and it was like this beautiful moment of this is what we're going to get to celebrate forever. So mm-hmm. to have that privilege to baptize him was absolutely a highlight of my life. So love it. And uh, yeah, that'll stick with me for a long time. Got great pictures of it. It's not, I had hair back in in that (laughs) time. (laughs) So, yeah, but but love him. Gonna miss him terribly until I get to see him face to face.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that. For sure. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme song was written by Joe Melwood and Brian Dean and was performed by Joe Melwood. If you would like more information on The Broken Pack, Go to our website, thebrokenpack.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter, Wild Grief, to learn about opportunities and receive exclusive information and grieving tips for subscribers. Information on that, our social media, and on our guests can be found in the show notes wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share. Thanks again.